0: Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by GrowMark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions, board of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next.
1: Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen.
0: And welcome into Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us here today. We're broadcasting live at the Cattle Industry Convention at NCBA Trade Show in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. we got a busy show on tap today. We're going to talk markets, some interesting market moves, especially in soybeans. We're going to talk with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, coming up here in just a little bit. We're also going to have a conversation with Colin Woodall, the CEO of the National Cannabis Beef Association, coming up here at the end of the show today as he brought from CattleCon, but first up though i had a conversation this morning with lance zimmerman senior analyst of animal protein at rombo bank talking about the cattle inventory report that was out on tuesday as well as a new report that he released we start our conversation looking at the cattle inventory numbers looked like a lot of those numbers came in as expected, showing that contraction of the cattle herd here in the U.S., Lance.
2: Yeah, everybody was obviously focused in this meeting on the beef cow number. And I would tell you that based on pre-report expectations, it came in mostly in line with what we all would have thought. A cow herd decline year over year of about a million head or 4%. But I would tell you a year ago at this time, if we were all sitting here, we'd have been jarred by that big a number, uh, but that big a decline, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we basically revisited now the 2001 14 lows, which if you think about that, that was the tightest cattle number we had, beef cow number, since 1962. And so that's that's the headline uh, from the report this week. And what does that mean going forward? Well, and thinking about what that means
0: going forward, obviously, I wonder what that's going to do for our, our markets. What's that going to do for feedlot country, cash trade, so many implications. We keep contracting that beef herd have to think that's bullish for prices right now Lance
2: yeah that's the biggest thing that we got to watch I tell everybody in the countryside first we got to get green grass around us again then we got to watch the feed prices what's going on there what that means to our cattle feeding friends because they need to make sure they have consistent profitability going forward but ultimately at the end of the day the consumer has to pay the bill and so as we look at beef prices today they're 50 cents off roughly from their all-time highs back in the fall of 2021 and you got a cash-strapped consumer and we got an abundant supply of pork and poultry around us. And so how do we navigate a higher beef price environment to basically fund the next expansion?
0: Yeah, and that's a great point you make, too. We got this ample supply of pork, poultry sitting out there, too. We're seeing the competition in the grocery store, at the meat case. I think some of that retail demand
2: as well, that's going to be another aspect that we have to watch in these markets as a whole. Yeah, and that's one of the things we put together. As you mentioned We released a research paper right ahead of convention not so fast as the title of it your listeners can go to rabo research food and agribusiness just google it bing it whatever you do the report will be one of the first few and we just talk through these different headwinds the challenges that are facing this next rebuild Uh, i had a producer joke with me that cattle cycles last 10 years but cattle producer memories only last seven and so when you think back to 14 and 15 the reason it was explosive is because the consumer paid for it we had explosive demand at the retail segment Per capita, beef, pork, and poultry supplies were 40 pounds smaller than where they are today. So we had a consumer that was starved for all things animal protein. Today, they have an abundance of protein and choices. So yes, supplies are declining, but the upward price responses that we need to fuel the next expansion and get that pass-through from high beef prices down to high cattle prices isn't as clear. Those signals and how that's going to translate over the next several years aren't as concrete as what we went through in the past.
0: Well, and looking at some of those factors and numbers that aren't concrete and when you look at your report what are we thinking here are we looking 24 25 26 27 what are your thoughts on maybe some of that rebuilding of the herd and the translation over to prices etc
2: yeah as i mentioned first thing we gotta do is look at green grass right yeah. and yeah. let's talk about weather for just a second we all recognize we all watch right el nino versus la nina and jesse that's the extent of my spanish but we're transitioning <laughs> out of el nino right but everybody said we're only going to a more neutral kind of holding pattern and that exists today through basically basically late spring early summer then we have the prospect of being more in a La Nina, or La Nina cooler wetter cycle towards the end of the year well that's already too late for most of our cow-calf producers who calve in this time window send out to pasture in the spring that means pretty suspect pasture conditions are probably going to persist through most of this spring and early summer period which means we're going to probably be in another liquidation phase maybe not as strong as we were this past year but still a liquidation phase this year, maybe into the early parts of 2024 as well, which means for us, beef production is gonna continue to decline all the way into 2026, as we pull heifers out of the, the cow herd to keep back for herd replacements.
0: Well, and I think about this too, you think about, you know, not having that green grass out there, well, also corn prices, you know, you got $6, $7 corn trying to put corn in the feed bunk or wheat even in the feed bunk at a high price that's not helpful to producers
2: either, Lance. No, you're right. And you think about those high feed grain prices, they're a benefit to our grain farmers. And obviously the first big surge we saw in those, especially when we talk about corns and, and beans, came with the renewable fuel standard back in 2008 and that supported the corn market as the ethanol industry bloomed. We're kind of facing the second version of that today with the demand for renewable diesel. And if you have $15 beans for a nice round number, you're gonna have to keep corn prices high just to keep acreage comparable. And when you look at our feed grain, space for livestock feed we've become very dependent on corn and so are we moving that demand curve out into the right as we like to say as economists where even if we rebuild supplies prices stay elevated that's going to keep a lid on cattle feeder profitability and in turn potentially keep a lid on how much how many dollars they can pass down to the stalker operator the background or the cow calf guy.
0: Well, I know you've got your crystal ball out here. We've been talking about that with your report that you just released, and again, we'll post a link to that as well on our website. But, Lance, something for producers to keep in mind here as they're working into 2023 and more. What would you say to them as you're looking at all this different data and headwinds, and, et
2: cetera, surrounding the beef market? My biggest thing that I'm telling them is first, know your break even, you know, especially as a cow-calf segment. A lot of times we just kind of do some offhand cocktail napkin math, maybe talk through it at the kitchen table, sharpen your pencil, get out a spreadsheet. If you don't know how to use a spreadsheet, ask somebody in the family to help you. Really whittle down the cost side of the equation, understand where you're at because if you want to be retaining heifers, if you want to be buying some cows back, you need to know what your cost structure is. I always tell guys that want to get in the cow business, you're married to your spouse, let's not be married to cows too. And so let's figure that out first. And then if we can do that, we can navigate the next steps because we got interest rates today also incredibly high. If you think back to the prior expansion, that interest rate was around three and a quarter percent. Today it's seven and a half percent. Even if bred heifers are $2,000 today, like they were at the last start of expansion. expansion, that's $400 in additional interest cost. And so know your costs now so that you can figure out what you can pay going forward to fuel that next rebuild, which is probably still in earnest two years away, but it gives you a chance to plan and anticipate for it.
0: Senior analyst with Animal Protein at Rommel Bank, Lance Zimmerman. Thanks for joining us here at the Cattle Industry Convention. We appreciate the
2: time. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate your time as well.
0: And again, a great conversation there with Lance Zimmerman, senior analyst of animal protein with Bank And gonna be very interested to see how the markets continue to react to the news that we got from USDA with that cattle inventory report on Tuesday. Markets on Tuesday in the livestock trade, cattle and hogs both under some pressure. And I know we're gonna dive into that discussion. We're gonna look at grains as well, some pressure in soybeans on the day Wednesday. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, joins us next back with more. Market Talk right after this.
1: The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen.
0: And joining us now, we are live at the Cattle Industry Convention in New Orleans. He is joining us from his office in Kansas as we take a look at the market trade action we saw on Wednesday. We're joined by our good friend Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, great to catch up with you, sir. We have uh, an eventful market day to talk about here
3: on Wednesday. Yeah, and it's a great week to talk with you being at the... uh New Orleans show and uh, talking to the cattlemen while I was talking to cattlemen in Leota, Kansas and up towards Kearney, Nebraska and seeing a lot of feedlots and a uh, good week to talk about the inventory report and also the wheat and uh, also the big fed just coming out with the press conference just starting.
0: Yeah, I know uh, the cattle inventory report, we're going to talk about that later in the show. I want to start with the Fed news though. Quarter uh, percent, 25 basis point rate hike, as expected. That news coming out here on Wednesday. As you uh, see that news and, and hear the comments from Fed Chair Jerome Powell, I know a lot of folks really paying attention to what he has to say.
3: What are you getting from his
0: comments here, Mike?
3: The biggest thing is we did a quarter point rate hike, and he didn't shock the market and make it a potentially very bearish commodity and risk off trade by doing a half point which I think there was a small chance that he could do that because they were really being aggressive up until this month. That leads me to the second big point, and that is they went ahead and dropped the word pace and added the word um, extent. And that may not mean much, but what it means to us in the analytical business, Jesse, is is that it's more likely that they will keep on knocking inflation down, but they won't use a sledgehammer. They're going to use probably more like a ball-peen hammer and 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 that's very comforting to me because it helps, I think, reduce the possibility of overshooting by over tightening. Because keep in mind, they're they're raising rates and they're tightening their balance sheets. They're squeezing liquidity at an, an a historical pace, quite frankly. And I'm not saying they didn't need to, but I was starting to get very nervous. They were doing it way too fast and essentially doing three years of rate hikes and liquidity squeezing in the in the mindset of one year. And this is, I think, their eighth rate increase in a row. It may have broken a record uh, for more than 50 years. So those are the two biggest things. Um, I think the big thing that Powell's comp- press conference just started when we started going on air, and he did talk about housing weakness in his press conference. And on their press release, uh, they also talked about um, the, the idea of maybe, in, in the markets anyway, of, of weakening um, wage growth. And I think these are the two big factors that maybe are making them scale back. So in the final analysis, as we talk, the U.S. dollar is still weaker, but it's not near its lows. Crude oil is still lower and near the low end of its range before the report came out and, and before his testimony or comp- press conference, I should say, started. But that could be in part because those crude oil stocks numbers were so burdensome again today. That that really led us from a dollar plus higher move to an almost $2 lower move uh, relative very quickly. So a lot of noise in that crude oil market today.
0: A lot of noise in the crude oil market. And as you mentioned, the dollar weaker. And with the Fed news, your thoughts, how does that parlay into the commodities, into the grains? I know Wednesday, you know, corn wheat wrapping up relatively mixed, a lot of pressure, a lot of spreading. Between old and new crop beans, which I'm sure we'll get into, but just overall, the Fed, what are your thoughts with how that plays into commodities here, Mike?
3: Yeah, excellent point on the spreading. A lot of people didn't notice that today, so kudos to you, especially being at a show, because we also had a lot of bear spreading in the corn where the march was down and the Dece was actually up quite a bit at times. Um, I sent two charts, one wheat and one agriculture index, and maybe that's the best place to kind of visualize where I'm at. This is a Bloomberg grain commodity index. And, and it's really important because those, le- those numbers there, two, three, four, five, those are cycle lows or, or major lows in that chart. And it's a monthly chart. And we talked about this chart before, Jesse, along with some other key charts that are really forming a tight triangle wedge compression. I, I did a really nice uh, group of guys met up with in Leota, Kansas yesterday, or I should say Monday, and one of the guys came up to me afterwards he said i i get it i know you're talking about these triangles being so important but why are they so important and i said you know i wish you would have asked that question during the presentation because that's a huge question to ask and what it really is to me is kind of like a spring if you think about a truck spring or you think about a slinky the the harder you press in on it the more you compress it and the more energy that's going to be likely released I see the markets the same way with these wedges, with these triangles, because you're creating an environment where you're having more constricted highs and more constricted lows. So your highs are lower, your lows are higher, and they actually naturally form a wedge. And this wedge is really coming in nicely, and it started back in 2020. So the net result of this chart, what I would suggest to you is because of the cycle counts and this low that we put back in in 2020, because of in part – the pandemic, um, I would say that we have really one good shot to the upside here as long as the Federal Reserve doesn't do anything to disturb it because that this cycle from the last low is kind of getting long in the tooth at this point because you would typically go up uh, three years and down three years or up four years and down four years. So we're getting to that point where we should be getting to a top and getting ready to turn the corner. So those are the things to watch out here after this Federal Reserve report because, this cycle point, this cycle, this wedge point, this Fed meeting all coming together in my opinion. And I think I would really like to see a a second half, uh, rest of February essentially, but essentially the second half of February really start to kick this market into a higher gear to the upside.
0: And to tie in with your point here, I'll flip on the video to the other chart you mentioned you you sent me and, This, I think, goes along well with, you know, what you and I have talked about the last couple of weeks of looking for wheat to be the upside leader in these grain markets. This is a wheat chart. Walk me through this chart, how that ties into the one we just talked about, Mike.
3: Well, and I added exactly. And I added two things. I added the Fed policy shift, allowing inflation back in 2020, very highly correlated with the chart we just showed you where the number five low came in. And then we came in with the 22 in March of 22. The Fed said, we're done with this inflation. We're sick of being beat up because of our use of the word transitory. We're going to use that sledgehammer on you. And boy, did they ever they put the high end. And it wasn't just because the wheat demand fell out of bed for the United States. It was really about the Federal Reserve, in my opinion. So now you're going to really test my analysis. Am I right about that? The Ukraine war, has it gotten any better. No, it's actually gotten worse. So where's the Ukraine war premium? Well, it never was about the Ukraine war premium. I think, Jesse, after June, I think it was really about the Federal Reserve. I think we're going to find that out. But this same point's coming together in no small part because the the Bloomberg grain index does have wheat in it. And so it makes sense that many, many charts that, that make up that index would have a wedge or close to having a wedge in it. So I am hopeful with the oversold indicator. Um, And some of the momentum indicators, like that bottom green line is a momentum indicator It being at zero. It would suggest that we're ready to go higher. And what my goal ultimately is, is that purple line. It's that 52-week moving average all the way up at $9. I think that's where we need to be to price in that Ukraine war premium again.
0: Mike, as well, I would love your thoughts. I haven't looked too much at the weather forecast today, uh, but soybeans, some of that pressure there and some of the spreading. I wonder, was there any change to a South American weather forecast that I missed, or was it maybe the case of just some profit taking to start a new month? You know, that's a typical kind of move we could see when we begin a new calendar month.
3: Yeah, I think that was exactly what was going on too, um, in the in the sense that the stock market was really giving a lot of pre- getting a lot of pressure to the downside. So I think it's new month, Federal Reserve long liquidation in soybeans. Probably the one thing that bothers me a little bit more though, as an other another major factor is instead of the weather, it was South American related, and that was a private forecast coming out in Brazil raising expectations back up to 154 plus million tons on soybeans and usda ag attache reports have really started to be peeled off here in the last two weeks and we got one from argentina and we got one from brazil and brazil's uh, corn and beans were higher um, not much higher but higher than the official usda number while the uh, argentine corn number it was slashed by the ag attache i think they went from official uh, number 45.5 million ton corn crop down to I think a 36 million ton corn crop. It just got slashed. So, but back on the beans, we had some fundamental data that did not support the idea that we needed to go above 1460, 1470 in the March beans because supplies got bigger with a couple big reports.
0: And again, we're having a conversation with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics here on Market Talk today. We are broadcasting live from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show in New Orleans, Louisiana. A few of the closing numbers from Wednesday, March quarter, up one a quarter, 681. March beans down 17 at three quarters, 1520 at a quarter. March Chicago wheat down one and a half, 759 at three quarters. March KC wheat up five and a half, 884 and a quarter. Spring wheat, March up three and three quarters at 926. February live cattle down 42, 158.42, feeder cattle for March down 290, 183.25, and February hogs down 90, 73, We're going to talk the cattle market. We're going to talk the cattle inventory report and more coming up after the break. Back with more market talk of the way, right after this.
1: Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: We're talking with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, here on today's Market Talk. Mike, I want to give us plenty of time to talk livestock and protein sector. Cattle Inventory Report was out Tuesday and Pretty much, I feel like numbers came in as we anticipated. We we were looking for that continued contraction, shrinking of the beef cow herd, and, and just looking at the cattle inventory in general. Let's just start. Let's look at the numbers and,
3: and walk me through some of the headline numbers that you saw, Mike. Yeah, it's funny. This chart came out from USDA after the report, and I really appreciate these charts coming out after the grain and livestock reports to help explain where their methodology is coming from. And I really like this chart because it, it kicks out dairy. You know, Jesse, when I look at the major uh, beef production states, I essentially knock out um, California, even though they'd be in the top five, because I think most of their numbers are dairy at this point that, uh, but this chart really shows beef cows and it really shows the last time we made that major high, you and I've talked about it. Price high was back in 2014. That's what we're all talking about in the ranch. And on in the feed yards and in cattle country right now. And, and even corn country is talking about that because we're seeing a lot of corn move out west. Um, and that 2014 high, you would think, would be getting close to being made or replicated because we're getting about 10 years out from that last high. And so that cattle cycle of eight to 10 years in production kind of loosely matches up with price highs and lows. And they tend to work opposite one another, obviously. But this beef cow number being where it was took us down to a level not seen since 1961, and I think what's even more important is if you look at cows and heifers that have calved at 38.3 million head, that matches the 2014 number almost perfectly, but that number, in back in 2014 when we made that low, uh, was also the lowest since 1941. So the question could be asked, why did we break so hard, especially in the feeders, given these massively low numbers. And I think it really just goes right back to the slaughter and the percent of slaughter the females continue to carry. And that on feed January one number at 14.2 million head versus 12.7 million head back in 2014, where that green arrow is we got a lot on feed still. And I still think it's those females kind of messing with our market and skewing it.
0: Well, as well, I look at how the uh, futures traded on Wednesday and I think we can rope a little bit of that into the conversation, you know, pretty much a down day across the board, live cattle feeder cattle, um, giving back some of what we priced in maybe to begin the week. So I wonder what you saw with just the reaction uh, on the board on Wednesday, and then also tie that in with uh, this next chart we have up on the video screen.
3: Yeah, really nice way to segue because I think that, that this also helps with the inventory report. And I think it Cattle producers that are watching right now, and and it would be good if you were watching because this chart is really a neat chart that we're looking at right now, but I want to call your attention because of our, our mindset with the supply side and the price. Notice in 2010 when we made a price low in December of 2010 where that first blue bull is, feeders did not lead the fat cattle. Both of them made a major low in December of 2010 the same thing in 2014 that october high of 2014 was made in fats and feeders in the same month of october and the exact same thing in 2020 that may low in 2020 where that one where the next blue bull is with the uh, green line next to it both of them made major lows the same month so I think we need to take away the idea that the feeders are going to bottom first. That was my first inclination in terms of futures market. Maybe the cash uh, price of feeders will find its support first because of the tightness once we get done uh, uh, liquidating this herd and start to try and retain again. But I think I'm going to look at the fats and feeders almost identically because these other major highs and lows. So that's point number one. Point number two, the way we just talked about the females – and, and the low beef calendar, inventory, but the high percentage of slaughter that they're still in makes me think about 2013, where we made a run and we made a high in early 2013, but we had a significant pullback, but that was actually a base to go on up and make that 2014 and, and kind of check that high in early 2015 uh, type of price action. I'm not so sure that the way this cattle report came out, Jesse, that we're not kind of where we were in the beginning of 2013. And that would make sense from a 10-year cycle standpoint because to this year's 2023. So that's not a hard uh, piece of analysis yet, but it's certainly something I'm looking at now that we've seen these report numbers and they are very, very skewed from taking a kind of a bearish feeder report versus a very, I think, historically bullish cattle report. Last thing I'll say about this is we are really losing a lot of numbers here at this point. And to be done down to 1941 levels for cows and heifers that have calved, It it's really sad as a person that works with cattlemen. I, I really hope we rebuild this herd. We just don't keep curbing and cutting the, uh, the the cattle herd, the beef cattle herd, like we have, like we did in the in the 20th century.
0: Well, to your point, I know that's a big conversation here at the cattle industry convention. What's it going to take to rebuild this cattle herd? And then also, you know, I, I like your thoughts. Sometimes we get caught up in the here and now, Mike. Got to sometimes look at the past to look at trends that happen to maybe let us know where we're going here now and in the future. So I think that's a, that's a very key point to keep in mind here, as you alluded to, as we look at this cattle market, Mike.
3: It is. And I've already seen the articles where be ready to pay more for your hamburger, be ready to pay more for your steaks. And all that does is chase the demand away when you need the demand the most to be able to rebuild your herd. And what I heard the most in cattle country this week, and I bet you're gonna hear probably tomorrow once you get out of the policy meetings and talk to more ranchers probably, is the idea fertilizer prices are killing them, interest rates are starting to kill them, and the cost to feed to gain is killing them because of this weather that we've had. And so there are many factors working against the cattlemen right now um, that could become worse if we don't hold these prices at elevated levels and get maybe a bit, bit of a pullback in the feeders. And so my wish list in the next six months is that we do get a pullback in the cash feeder market. It gives the cattleman a chance to retain and start to rebuild his herd. Uh, and that then they can start to make keep making some decent money before these retail prices uh, get so out of whack that we really see it in the restaurants and we see it in the grocery store. It's a, the one thing that really, really stands out to me is a, in, in terms of a future mindset, Jesse, and that question you asked is this report puts more pressure than ever on the hogs to find a low and not see supply backwash into the domestic market, given what this cattle report said. Because if you have relatively low pork prices and very high retail beef prices, you're going to see a lot of loss in demand, I'm afraid.
0: Real quick as well, hogs, uh, another rough day in lean hogs Wednesday. I know that front month contract continues to contract the cash, little over a dollar difference there now. Uh, but I wonder, was that spillover pressure from cattle or something else you are in this hog market that just continues to struggle, Mike?
3: No, I do think that Feb-April spread is really driving the traders crazy right now. we got to bring that together. The bright spot in the hogs so far, at least at midday, was the cutout was holding around 80.50. So I'm hoping as I see the afternoon close, We've made a low that $79.50, $80 level in the cutout is the low in the market. I think it should be, um, but I will be watching very closely those export sales again. I hope we have a really good week for both the beef and the, and the pork. And I'll throw one other thing out with the hogs too, Jesse, since you asked. The dollar currency market's going to become more and more important uh, when it comes to getting those exports out. If we would see the dollar rally sharply, then we'll probably bring imports in. And really cut back on our exports and that could really mess around with the pricing structure for cattle and hogs in, in the first half of the year especially
0: mike we covered uh, a ton of information as always uh, here on the show today final thoughts uh, anything else you want to reiterate to listeners viewers uh, here on the show today
3: only thing i'd say is I, I i think i got a lot of really good feedback after the presentation i gave um in, in leota and after i talked to my client and carney Um, I really want to stress maybe picking up a trial at globalcomresearch.com because I'm going to start putting these up as webinars and maybe pay-per-view webinars in some cases. But think about subscribing if not wanting to be a cash or brokerage client because I think I can bring a lot to uh, the analytical table to help you think and go through some of the stuff and maybe blank out some of the noise in this market.
0: And you can find, again, the details at globalcomresearch.com. That is com with two M's, globalcomresearch.com. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Always a pleasure, sir. Thanks for joining us. We'll
3: talk to you again next week. Thanks, Jesse. Have a great time at the show. And thank you very much again.
0: Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, joining us here today on Market Talk. Before we head to the break, a few of the closing numbers from Wednesday's trade action. Once again, March corn up one at a quarter at 681 on Wednesday. We look over at new crop December corn. We saw that up five and a half, 596 at a quarter. So a little spreading between old and new crop corn. Spread action between old and new crop soybeans as well. March beans down 17 to three quarters at 1520 and a quarter new crop. November soybeans finished the day down two and three quarters, 13.60 and a quarter. Bead meal for March up 50 cents a ton, 484.70. March bean oil down 154.60.79. March Chicago wheat down one and a half, 7.59 at three quarters. July up one at three quarters at seven seventy-three. March Kansas City winter wheat up five and a half, 8.84 at a quarter. May up five, eight seventy-six at three quarters. Spring wheat, March up three and three quarters at nine twenty-six. July up three and three quarters, nine fourteen and a quarter. Over in livestock, February live cattle down 42, 158.42. April live cattle down 80, 162.22. June down 45, 158.70. March feeder cattle 290 lower, 183.25. April down 210, 187.95 on Wednesday. Lean hogs, February down 90, 73.97. April was down 212, 84.30. And May hogs down 165 at 93.77 on the day on Wednesday couple other market numbers as well. March oats down one at 393. Looking over at the cotton market as well on Wednesday, down 61 points in March at 8561. Coming up, we're going to continue from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show here in New Orleans. We'll have a conversation with Colin Woodall, the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. That's coming up after the break. Back with more Market Talk on the way right after this.
1: you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: And joining us now here at the Cattle Industry Convention in New Orleans and the NCBA Trade Show, Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, great to catch up with you again, sir. I hope you're doing well.
4: Doing well, and I appreciate you joining us here in New Orleans. Definitely. It's
0: always fun to be here at the Cattle Industry Convention and uh, get to catch up with folks with NCBA and folks throughout the beef industry and talk about just all the different topics, issues surrounding The cattle industry. And I think just top of mind, just to start, obviously, you guys set a lot of policy. You guys talk a lot of
4: policy here during convention. What are some of the big things you're looking at here this year? You know, when you look at CattleCon, people really know it for the fun that we have. We've got great entertainment, great speakers, food and drink, a trade show that is seven acres in size. But it really is a place to do the business of the association. And when you step back and you look at NCBA, we are a grassroots organization it is the producers the members who are part of this association that drive this association set the priorities for this association set the policy for this association so we have our policy committees that are meeting this week they are made up of people uh, their producers who are appointed by their state cattlemen's associations to be their representatives we debate the issues we decide where we want to be on different issues and if it passes through those committees through our board directors and ultimately gets passed by every member of this association who has a chance to vote on it then it becomes our policy and that's what we take to Washington DC to be that advocate for our members well and thinking
0: about that policy in dc let's talk a little bit about some of the things you're seeing right now on capitol hill farm bill obviously top of mind as we've got the new congress in now and hearing this chatter that you know we want to try and get something done here in 2023 feels like it could be a little bit of an uphill battle a little bit of a lift so i'd love your thoughts just some of the latest you're hearing surrounding the farm bill and and cattle issues in the farm
4: bill Yeah, so for us and really for everybody in agriculture, the focus in Washington, D.C. is on the farm bill. You know, the current farm bill expires on September 30th of this year. So we're about eight months away. That's a lot of work to do for Congress in eight months and history is not on their side Uh, history says that this thing will be extended at some point in time before it's finalized but you know what we are going to do everything we can to support chairman thompson and chairwoman Stabenow in their effort to get it done they've both said they want to get it done they are both very powerful and driven individuals so we're not going to count them out Uh, but we will we will be there to advocate for our positions. And our positions really are pretty simple when it comes to the Farm Bill. We want to maintain funding for the foot and mouth disease vaccine bank. This is something that we got established in the last farm bill, and we want to maintain that. We also want to make sure that programs like the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, EQIP, stay well-funded. That is a very popular program among cattle producers. One area that's unique is we spend a lot of time protecting the research dollars that are included in a farm bill. Research is so incredibly important for us to be able to become better at what we do and also to protect ourselves from foreign animal diseases. And so research done at USDA and also through land grant universities is funded through the farm bill, we wanna protect that. And we also wanna make sure that the risk management programs for cow-calf producers in particular are strong and affordable. So those are our priorities as we look at this farm bill.
0: And I think as well, you brought up, you know, the foot and mouth disease bank, um, disease traceability is a big issue. I'm hearing a lot about that with producers here during CattleCon and I know that's something that again, you guys are focused on as well at NCBA.
4: We are of course at the end of the year we saw the new proposed rule from usda moving into electronic identification Mm -hmm. for sexually intact animals of breeding age so over 18 months of age that are crossing state lines and also all dairy cattle that are crossing state lines and in order to make sure that that is workable we have to be at the table to talk about what needs to be tweaked we need to make sure that we are protecting the confidentiality of that information we can't let this information allow this information to get out to activists who want to use it against producers so we have to protect that information and we also want to make sure that the marketplace that exists today in both selling tags and managing that information is allowed to stay in place we can't have usda doing all of that on their own so that is what we are currently evaluating and we're going to be uh, pushing to, to make some changes to that proposed rule but at the same time we are also spending our time here at CattleCon uh, encouraging our members to look at electronic identification and to start accepting that and using that as part of their production practices because if there is an outbreak of foot and mouth disease those who have identification in their animals, know where they have been, where they come from, they're gonna get back into the flow of commerce long before anybody else will.
0: I know as well, there's a lot of other conversations, cattle contracts, library, sustainability, many different conversations that are gonna be had here in the next couple of days before we let you go. Final thoughts, anything else you wanna to touch on for us, Colin?
4: You know, we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about regulation. Uh, overregulation by our federal government is top of mind. We talked a little bit about the uh, disease traceability rule, but we also have waters of the United States that we're seeing mm-hmm. from EPA. We have the proposal from the Securities and Exchange Commission to regulate greenhouse gases, an area where they have no expertise or no jurisdiction, but they're sticking their finger in that. And of course, also what we're seeing with the Packers and Stockyards proposals that would just further dictate how producers can or cannot market their cattle so for us this next year is going to be focused a lot on farm bills we talked about but especially on federal regulations well and as you alluded
0: to many different regulations many different topics NCBA is uh, going to bat for cattle ranchers across the country and Colin we appreciate a few minutes of your time here during CattleCon. thanks for joining us thanks for having me and we appreciate the time. Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Earlier in the show, Lance Zimmerman with Robo Bank and also Markets with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics here joining us on the show today. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to have more coverage here from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. We're going to be talking with folks on the trade show floor tomorrow. We're also going to have a conversation with Justin Sherrard with Robo Bank and much more here live from New Orleans. That's going to do it for Market Talk today. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.